welcome to the TV Kids Festival. I'm Kristen Brznowski, the executive editor of TV Kids, and I have with me today Kevin and Dan Hagman, who among their many credits are executive producers and showrunners of Star Trek Prodigy. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Dan. Hi, thank you so much for having us. Yes. And thank both of you for taking your time. Mm -hmm. Thought we could go back to the beginning and Tell us about how the idea for a Star Trek series targeting this younger audience came about, which is a first for the franchise, I believe. Well, it started out with Alex Kurtzman. He came to us and said, you know, there's not really an on-ramp for this massive canon of Star Trek. And uh, when Kevin and I were, were, were approached, our first, uh, our first thought was, this is very daunting and I don't know if we're the ones to do it. But that's when we came up with the idea of it's from if it's from the perspective of kids who don't know anything about Star Trek, then that's the way to go. I know this also marks the franchise's first animated series to use solely 3D animation. What were some of the factors that went to deciding the look of the show and what does this animation style lend to the overall series? There was the original uh, animated series of Star Trek, which was 2D and, and uh, it was nice in its own right. But when we came on board um, for this, we, you know, we came from a background of a lot of CG animation, whether it's Lego Movie or um, Ninjago or uh, more recently Troll Hunters. We always loved being on these things that were pushing uh, the art and animation. And so we really wanted something that was treated almost like it was real. You know, we wanted our characters to hopefully someday interact with the actual live action actors or vice versa. And so we wanted to do that and make it real and grounded and, and just cinematic and gorgeous. And then we brought on Ben Ebon, our supervising director. And what I love what he did is, um, you know, Disney's got such an amazing, you know, big, presence i think with the style of a lot of animation out there and i like that he really was bucking the system a little bit and we really created an original voice and, and look to our show we've got one shot at this with so little time we left out all comfort for basic life support we have stabilizers but the engines are crude its navigation is archaic we have janeway for that right seats oh, what about the seats? we leave in five Maybe seat belts? Forget belts. We'll just go with the hold on to your belt grab handles. <laughs> How does Prodigy explore new storytelling avenues in the Star Trek universe? I mean, because it's animation, I think we're able to do some things that some of the live action shows can't do. I mean, if you look at our ship, um, it's all windows. You're, you're, you're looking right out into space. And I think back in the... Uh, or even today, I mean, the, the simple cost of doing that in live action is just, it's, it's too much for a show to do that. Um, so we're always looking at ways of, um, you know, it, it's baked in there in our concept of we wanted to have the whole cast be aliens. That's something, you know, not just prosthetics stuck to your forehead. We wanted to make sure we really pushed and pulled what these characters looked like and what they could represent all throughout the galaxy. And speaking of those characters, talk to me about the character development that's at the heart. Well, I mean, we always come from a place of wish fulfillment. Uh, our characters, like if you watch our show, I, a big influencer is The Goonies, is one of our favorite films. And these are like real kids, right? Real, even though our cast is are a bunch of aliens, they're hopefully going to feel like real kids who have real issues. Uh, they're not great at what they do. 
you know, and um, and that was like a starting place for us because we really, you know, when we watch a lot of Star Trek, which we love, they're fully formed characters. They're the best of the best. They've gone through Starfleet. And so that's intimidating to write. And it's hard to relate to, I think, if it was a new audience or a child. And so that's why, I mean, having these kids and having them fallible and having them make mistakes is really important to us. And the universe around these characters and the protagonists isn't dumbed down in any way. So how do you balance introducing kids to Starfleet while also exploring the canon and the lore of Star Trek itself? Yeah, I think in terms of, I, I, thank you for saying that it's not dumbed down. And I think the way we always look at that is you never have the antagonist be dumbed down. The antagonist wants what they want and they will go after it with every um, ounce of their fiber. And and it's these, it's these kids or these protagonists who have to figure out how to stay one step ahead. We never have Keystone cops. We never have people slipping on banana peels. We don't, we don't ever make it easy for them just because they're young. It doesn't mean it's easy because this is space and this is the canon of Star Trek. We want to make sure that we fit within that um, in believability. And our goal always with the show, you know, even though when it was first advertised, it was going to be the kids, you know, sort of Star Trek, we really wanted to get adults as well. We wanted the whole family to be able to sit down and enjoy it. So I think if you look at all aspects of our show, we're constantly thinking about that, like using our villains as an example, you've got, you know, the diviner who's a very complex villain that I think uh, adults can really enjoy. But then we also added Dreadnought, which was like a little bit more fun, very easily a child can see and go, okay, this is a bad guy. <laughs> Tell me about working with those in the Star Trek estate, Alex Kurtzman and Roddenberry Entertainment. What's that collaborative process like? And are there ever any no-goes given to you? I love working with Kurtzman. I've always kind of mentioned it feels like a mom and pop shop where everyone has you know there's all, there's so many shows but everyone has their own little corner of the sandbox nothing feels like it's overlapping and everyone's been fantastic um usually a couple a couple times a year all the show owners will get together and we'll discuss what we would like to do and everyone is very amiable and everyone wants everyone to succeed and uh so i don't we've never really had no goes um it's it's really we're we're all sort of aligned on on what each show should do. Or we'll just have a if it's not a no go, but if there's another show who wants to use a certain character that we do, you know, we just have a discussion about it and figure out how to make it work so that all parties are happy. And then the Roddenberry Estate has been absolutely fantastic, and they, you know, they're really about preserving, you know, Gene's vision and continuing his, you know, the father Star Trek. So you know, they've been absolutely wonderfully supportive because I think when they started to see what we were doing, they're like, oh my gosh, Gene would be so proud of this. And being that this is such an iconic property, what are some of the challenges or sensitivities to working with a really legendary piece of IP like this one compared to, let's say, a wholly original piece? Well, we know the slings and arrows are pointed at us before, you know, before anything comes out. And so we know the fans are are waiting to see if that, you know, is in fact the show Star Trek. And I think that they're okay to doubt stuff because I think there's there's Star Trek has a long history of of doing some really amazing quality work. And so we're just so happy that the um the fans have embraced our show, you know, and that, and that cuz that's something in the writers room we're all very concerned about. What I'm shocked about, it's like they will pause the screen and look at the look at the L cards on the screen and make sure everything matches up. So it really feels like you're being 
um, looked at head to toe every single episode. And, and hopefully we, we haven't made too many mistakes. Take me inside that writer's room that you just referenced. How'd you go about assembling it? And what are some of the various complementary assets that you were looking for? How do you guys break stories together? I mean, first of all, we're so proud of our writer's room. What we wanted to do right away when we started to build it, um, we weren't necessarily looking at animation writers who have done the sort of a lot of the close-ended 22-minute format or 11-minute format. We actually went, a lot of our writers come from the live-action world. I mean, we're even from the live-action world. Just because with our show, we take the time for it to breathe and we need those dramatic moments. We love it. We're, we're, we have the camera sitting on faces and we see them contemplating and stuff. And so it's a little bit of a different animal than, than a lot of other sort of young animated shows. Um, and so we're so proud of everyone that we, we brought on. And we really got a group of talented writers who some were massive Star Trek fans, right? And so they could bring that knowledge to it. And then there was other people who are pretty new to it. And so uh, hopefully that really helped us create a tone that was true to Star Trek, but it had a fresh voice. And I'd like to add that, like when we started the writer's room, the very first comment we made is we want this room to be um, coming from a place of joy. You know, this is this is such a lucky experience to be able to work for Star Trek and also to introduce Star Trek to a new audience. And so we want to make sure if we're not having fun, it's not going to show up on screen. And I think what's fantastic about the writer's room, too, is even though everyone had their own little episodes to work on, when they got done with them, we as a room all came together and every single person had, um, you know, we would do a, a room read on the very last day before it was due and everyone got to put in their two cents if something wasn't working right. And so that's why I think there's a very uniform sound and tone to the show um, that we very much worked as a family. Now, let me just add one more thing. Like you're just asking what it was like in the writer's room and you, Dan was saying it started with a place of joy and yeah, like we're sitting there for the first couple of weeks and we're like, okay, we're doing Star Trek. And how do you introduce a brand new audience? Not just a kid, but even an adult like, who might be new to it and intimidated by it. And so it was really fun to be able to share. Everyone was like, why do you love Star Trek? What makes Star Trek great? What are those elements? What are those episodes? What are the species? Characters from past seasons, you know? And so we just started to start with that place of all the stuff that we love. And then it's like, how do we start to actually make the greatest hits? You know, like each episode was slowly introducing a new person into all these aspects, what makes Star Trek great. And the voice casting is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Tell me about some of the decision-making behind that. There's the iconic Kate Mulgrew, but then also some super fans like Jamila Jamil and Jason Alexander. I think obviously, you know, within the pitch, when we first had the idea, we knew it had to be Kate Mulgrew. So that was not a question. Um, in terms of some of the um, other casting, I think what's fantastic about Star Trek is you have a lot of fans out there, people who would who would love to be in a Star Trek show. And so when we saw Jamila's name, we're, you know, and we saw Jason's name, we're like, oh my gosh, we have to get these people. And um, and and so and then also the, the voice cast of our main uh, of our main crew, um, we love every single one dearly. I remember with Riley, who is the voice of Rock Talk, you know, she we we hired her when she was eight years old, and she's we wanted that authentic voice. And we want, we want to grow up with Riley just as we grow up with this crew. And speaking to someone like Riley, what's it like working with this next generation of talent, both in terms of actors and behind the scenes with, I believe it's the youngest staff writer ever to work on a Trek series? 
<laughs> is that is that Keith sweet. Smith Nicky's second sweet. maybe? He's yes, he's, okay. yeah. He was a writer of ours on season two, which people have not yet seen yet. But uh, yes, he was uh, he was a fantastic. Uh, he was actually our assistant, and he was a fantastic. Uh, writing sample that we moved him up into being a staff writer for the first time. And, and he was stellar. I mean, it's great having youth in our, in our writer's room. And it's great. Um, it's because again, it's like, we want fresh voices. You know, we want to, I think in the, you look, you think about the writer's room of the old Trek show and they all look like 50 year old white men. And it's like, we want diversity. We want youth. We want, uh, we want to breathe new life into, into Star Trek. And with the cast, like the new cast, it's so fun and magical, like where we'll do a dinner after like a Comic-Con or something. And Kate, who has this tremendous, she's lived with this character, right, for so long. And she has such wonderful advice and stories about it. And then to have younger people like Brett or Ella or Riley, who are, who are kind of new to this whole world, and it's fun. It's fun to see them because a lot of some of them, they didn't grow up with Star Trek as much. And so they're like realizing, holy cow, like this is big. <laughs> Anticipation is high for season two. Hmm. Is it more challenging putting together the first season of episodes, not knowing how it's going to be received or having to continue the stories now knowing that there's a big fan base? of both adults and kids who you don't want to disappoint after that initial success. I mean, I think we've had some history, like in, in, uh, going back to the show Troll Hunters, we had written 52 episodes with our writer's room before the first episode ever aired. So there's really no changing course. And, and, and the same thing is for this one, where we have written uh, 40 episodes before the first episode really first came out. So there really is no changing course. And so all we have to do is have the confidence and the faith, you know, to go, this is the way we think the story should go. And if, if they liked our instincts for the first season, they're going to like our instincts for the second season. For me, like season two, yes, there's the challenge of having to top it. Like Dan and I never like, if we're going to do, a, it's not even every season two, I would say every episode that we write, we're like, why is this going to be the greatest episode ever? Like we're constantly pushing us in our writer's room of just saying every episode counts. It's, it's every link in the chain and they all have to be strong. But I would have to say like, what's harder is season one because you have not, not just writing it, and figuring out the voices and the tone and the world and the characters and everything. But it's the look and the style. Like it's, you know, you're starting with literally nothing. And so to start looking at designs and figuring out what the what the language is visually to your show. And and because with animation. It's subjective to have it, to all get on the same It's so subjective. Page. Yeah. And with animation, there's so many styles of animation of how you could do this show. And so it took a while for us to really zero in on what, what we all loved and what, you know, so, so I would have to say season one's harder. And I know you can't give away any spoilers, but how deep into the Star Trek canon are you planning to go with characters and references for season two and beyond? Well, it's so nice to be able to have season one fully out now so we can actually talk about it. Uh, because at the end of season one, you know, we see all of our uh, kids have they've made it. They're there at Starfleet. Right. And so that's really, really exciting to us. So, you know, I think all we can say is, you know, the season two 
You know, season one, they were far, far, far away from Federation space. Now we get to begin there. So of course, it's going to be so many fun characters and uh, so much of Starfleet is going to be very present in season two. Well, I want to thank you both for taking us all behind the scenes. We are so excited to see what comes next. And thank you again for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kristen. Appreciate it.